0: You know, as we spent Easter focused on the hope that we find in Jesus, it's important that we understand that we are called to share that hope. And it's not just something that we uh, come to grips with, that we step into relationship with Jesus, and, and immediately things change for us, and we are able to find hope in life despite the circumstances. But the greatest desire that God has is that we would be vessels of hope that we would pass that hope along and so this morning we want to continue in that conversation of how we show people hope and love and it's the love that God showed us that really matters as we share that with people that same love and compassion that God showed us when we were struggling is what he desires we would show others You know, over the next several weeks, we're going to be unpacking what it means to truly love people in a culture that would rather silence those with whom they disagree. We are going to be kicking off a a series this week that I've entitled Compassion Culture, Canceling Cancel Culture with the Language of Love. You know, we live in a society in in a day and age where if you disagree with somebody, you cancel them. You silence them. They say, no, your opinion, your thoughts, your perspective don't matter to me anymore. And I'm done. And we see this strange phenomenon of cancel culture. If you're unfamiliar with it, let me break it down for you. Cancel culture, as it's defined by some, refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for or canceling public figures Companies, after they've done or said something, considered objectionable or offensive. We see it all over the place. Cancel culture is a a modern form of ostracism where someone is thrust out of social or professional circles, whether it be online or social media or even in person. And this cancel culture began with celebrities and sports figures who would do something or say something that we would consider it was not okay. It would cancel them. We no longer support them. The cancel culture has begun to spring up in virtually every facet of society as of late. Politics, social social justice, different companies and organizations picking sides, and social religious movements. It's even touching the church where people disagree on certain things, and it's, uh, yeah, I don't agree with that pastor. I don't agree with that church. I don't agree with that person, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do something else. Let me just start by saying, this is not a series dealing with politics, just in case you were worried. I don't care if you're a CNN or a Fox News or a, I don't care if you're red or blue or, you know. It's not about that about loving people. And God's desire is that all of us would come to a realization of his love and the plan and purpose for which each of us was created. The Reality is somewhere along the line we got sidetracked with this nasty thing called pride. It crept in and it started to move in and it has a tendency to rear its ugly head in the worst of places in life. When we allow it to. You know, if we're honest, though, we all do enjoy the satisfaction of being right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. We all like being right. And I think, secretly, we all kind of enjoy that added bonus of somebody else being wrong. Yeah, we got, one, we got one honest person in the place. Fantastic. But we do, we love being right. We love getting our point across. We love kind of roasting somebody and, you know, hang, hanging that, that, that rightness over their head. We just, we love it. And cancel, cor- cancel culture, at its core, grows out of two main premises. The first one is, I'm right. The second premise is, you can't change. I'm right. You're wrong. You can't change. So I'm done. So if we start with that foundation, then there's always going to be opportunities for us to be offended and to disagree and distance ourselves from the people, the very people that God would desire we pour into. And it seems to show up in the most simple of conversations. This reality showed up um, in one of mine and Gretchen's conversations early on in our courting or dating or whatever you wanted to call it. We had just got, started getting to know each other. And, and we were both attending Vanguard University in uh, Southern California in Orange County. And we were in that place where... where we were just starting to hang out, and interestingly enough, we went out and we, we found this, this place. We were going out to, to hang out and spend some time together. We had some, some friends that had introduced us, and we went to this place of, of, uh, uh, called Triangle, Squ- Triangle Square. If you're familiar with Orange County, Vanguard University, there's this little mall called Triangle Square, and we were going to go out and spend some time together, and so we Went down the 55 down to Triangle Square, and we we're going to go get some frozen yogurt or something. And uh, all of a sudden, in the, con- the course of conversation, Gretchen says to me, and I don't remember how it came up, but I think we were talking about the Olympics. And she's like, yeah, it was, it was like that time when Greg Louganis hit his head on the platform. And I said, he didn't hit his head on the platform. It was, a, it was a springboard. No, 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 no. It was a platform. I can... I can I could see it in my, in my head. I said, Gretchen, it was a, it was a springboard. I guarantee it. No, no, it was a platform. I said, you know what? I'll bet you 10 bucks, It was a springboard. She said, deal. And so we were at Triangle Square. So we went downstairs. There's a little Barnes and & Noble. And we sifted through the Barnes & Noble until we found a little pictorial depiction of all the different years of the Olympics. We flipped through it, and we opened it up, and boom, there's Greg Louganis smacking his head on a springboard, and I was like, yes, I told you, and that was the inception of the 10 bucks bet in our relationship that has traversed now 23 years of marriage, and I'm pretty sure that Gretchen owes me somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.25 million, of which she has paid none of to me. But have you ever wondered why we're not more willing to just agree to disagree? Why we're not willing to just come to a place of saying, oh, you know, we can agree to disagree. So today I've titled the message, Agree to Disagree. Because too often, we let our disagreements separate us. We let our disagreements move us from the place of fellowship. And as we kick our conversation off today, I want us to begin by looking at what the Bible says in regard to living with compassion and understanding. Our text for today is found in Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 5. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't, you can absolutely jump on your mobile device and check out the YouVersion Bible app and search Neighborhood Church and Events, and you'll find us there. Romans chapter 14, verse 5 says, One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that amidst a culture that is desiring to cancel people out and silence them, God, we thank you that you love us. With all of our flaws, with all of our bumps and all of our bruises, you chose to love us. to show us compassion and our greatest point of need. Father, we pray today that you would help us to humble ourselves, to come to that place where we can open up fellowship with other people, regardless of the way they think or see or believe or feel about situations. God, we thank you, and we know that we need your help to do this and to do it in a way that is pleasing to you. So help us, God, we ask. We pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is dealing directly with a convergence of individuals: some who are living by the law of Moses, the Jewish people, and then those who have come to new life in Christ and have no concept of the law. They have no concept of the things that they're supposed to be doing and the traditions and all the observances. And Paul is 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 talking to both parties, specifically more to those who are judging those for not following the law of Moses. And it's interesting, the the terminology that Paul uses. Paul calls the things being debated disputable matters. Disputable. Not absolute, not truths that cannot be traversed past. Disputable. In other words, debatable. And it's interesting because he builds a case both in this passage of Scripture and throughout the New Testament that we shouldn't judge one another, that we should not put our place ourselves in the place of passing judgment. He talks about vegetables versus meat, which you should eat. Later in the New Testament, he's talking about meat that's offered to idols that would be considered unclean. Talks about circumcision and those who are not yet circumcised. And he goes throughout all these conversations and these disputable things. And it's funny, not much has changed over the years. We still have these arguments in church. We argue over whether you should raise your hands during worship or stand there very still. We argue over the gift of tongues. Should it show up in a service? You know, should the gifts of the Spirit still be... You know, in operation, should, um, you know, we allow people to, you know, to come to the altar, should we do this, should we do that? And then, of course, the greatest of debates, decaf versus regular, whether or not you put the plain cream in or the you know, vanilla creamer. But believe it or not, even as Christians, when we feel strong enough about something, we will often cease to spend time with people become easily offended, and perhaps even allow ourselves an easy excuse to move on to another church, or worse yet, to stop attending church altogether. The reality of cancel culture, whether we choose to believe it or not, is that it has become one of the greatest threats to the Great Commission. Jesus' commandment to go into all the world to make disciples there is nothing that threatens our ability to do life with people and to impact them for the kingdom than that of canceling one another out you know in order to move past the pride of wanting to silence or cancel someone in our lives today i want about i want to talk about three things that we need to do and be thinking about doing the first is this choose to respond not to react. Choose to respond, don't react. Reactionary living is always going to put us in a place that is difficult because people are going to do stupid things. They're going to say stupid things. They're going to say things that are hurtful. They're going to say things that are offensive. And if we allow ourselves to react, we're always going to be in that place of being like, yeah, no. I said one more time, and that's it we're always going to be reacting out of our first impulse, which is often a desire to be offended or to get defensive. We tend to make, take things that are said or written personally. Here's a new idea. Don't, don't, don't type people and, 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 and not realize that they, they can't understand the emotion. It's, that's written behind it but we tend to take things said or written personally there's something that rises up within us that desires to bring correction desires to get even we got to balance the scales and i and that they hurt me so i'm going to hurt them back and we feel it's our job to fix people's wrong perspectives and perceptions i think if if they're if they're off they don't they don't really get it we should help fix them there's a little saying, perception is reality. Perception is reality. And the reality is, your perception will always become your reality. better way to say it is people's perception helps to shape the way they perceive reality. I see it all the time when I umpire a baseball game. We're, we're back doing baseball again, excited about it. and. And uh, when I make a close call on the baseball field, you know, we'll have a, a, a close play at first base, and, you know, we'll get in there and pound out and out, and, and uh, I'll see a coach start coming out from the dugout, come out, and he'll say, you know, what do you, what do you have there? Well, I had, the, I had the ball beating the runner. Runner's out. No, 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 no. There's no way. My runner beat the baseball there. He's got to be safe. No, 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 no. And thankfully, in those situations, I can say, you know, let's just agree to disagree, and he's going to go ahead and be out, and you need to go back to the dugout. And then if they don't, then, then the coach is out. And uh, so it makes it all nice. and. But life doesn't work like baseball, right? The problem comes when we choose not to value others' perceptions and realities in an effort to gain fellowship with them. We don't have to take everything as gospel and uh, you believe the, you know, the world is flat and I believe it's round. I guess I can just agree with you that it's round or that it's flat. No, but we can still engage people's perceptions in an effort to have fellowship with them. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What does it say? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The way I read that is it's my responsibility to step into relationship with people. It's my responsibility to take the high road at times and not be offended. And not get defensive. I remember a time in my life when I was young and I was very outspoken. You know, it's hard to imagine. And if you didn't agree with me, I just basically kind of chalked it up to that's your problem. It's your issue. It's not me. It can't be me. And I had this very selfish way of living where I just went through life and it's like, yeah, you don't like me, that's your issue. You, know? you don't agree with me, eh, Sorry. <laughs> And I, it, was, it was this just horrible way of thinking that I knew everything and that I had it all figured out. And anybody who disagreed was, well, they were just obviously not informed. Jesus never walked away from an encounter. He never said, oh, no, 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 no. He was always stepping into relationship. He was always stepping into fellowship with Zacchaeus, with the, the woman at the well, with The woman caught in adultery with Peter after he denied him three times en route to the crucifixion. So the question is, with whom is God desiring you would spend your time? With whom is God desiring that you would step into relationship, not allow yourself to be offended or get defensive? We have to choose to respond not to react. The second thing is this. Choose to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Choose to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Isn't it interesting how often we choose to be offended instead of desiring to gain an understanding as to how, why someone lives or believes the way they do? I'm always amazed that we choose to take offense before we even get to know somebody. Sometimes I have to, somebody's critical of me or somebody is, you know, saying things to me that aren't the most uplifting. Sometimes I have to just say to myself, just consider the source. They don't know me. They don't know my heart. They don't know that that's the absolute opposite of who I am or what I'm trying to do. And I spent too many years of my life, too prideful to realize God loves the people with whom I disagree. It wasn't until I was humbled enough times in life, and believe me, it's, it's been a few, that I realized the greatest gift God has given us is to suffer alongside of someone. Is to come alongside of somebody in their most vulnerable state and just suffer with them you realize when people are struggling, when people are hurting, when people are angry, when people are upset, they don't want you to fix them? They don't want you to come and be like, let me just say a quick prayer and then everything will be great. Because that's not how it works. We all know that. They want you to suffer alongside of them. And Jesus was the greatest example of someone who suffered alongside of people, and then eventually took on everyone's suffering. Romans 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. I can tell you right now, if somebody is mourning and struggling and hurting, they don't want you to come and be like, Let's rejoice! Woo! No, because they're hurting. And just because you're rejoicing is not going to pull them out of their state. They want you to mourn with them. They want you to hurt with them. They want you to listen. They want you to lend an ear. The greatest gift we can give to somebody is to come alongside with them and suffer when they're suffering and rejoice when they're rejoicing. To share that life. Moment with them. When we choose to walk with people, their joys become our joys and their sorrows become an opportunity for us to show compassion. And when we show compassion, they feel valued, and they feel validated, they feel strengthened, maybe for a moment. Henry David Thoreau said, Could a greater miracle take place than for us to look through each other's eyes? For an instant. When was the last time somebody hurt you or offended you or frustrated you and you stopped long enough to go, I wonder what's going on in their life? I wonder what they're dealing with right now. There's got to be something going on. Maybe if I take enough time to get to know their story, I can discover what they're going through. Maybe I could suffer alongside of them. But it's a daily choice to respond to disagreement with understanding, with empathy, and with love. And ultimately, that is the greatest display of compassion that we can show to people when they're hurting and they're struggling. Not canceling them out because they said the wrong thing and, oh, I just can't hang out with this person anymore because, I'm over here and they're over here and they're red and I'm blue and I... uh, When we choose to do life with people, it should be with no strings attached. So we've got to be willing to respond and not react. And we've got to be willing to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. The final thought is this. Choose relationship over rightness. Choose relationship. Is it that important to be right in life? for that temporary little bit of gratification to say, I told you it was a springboard. Man, I'm stinking smart. In order to overcome pride in our lives, the first thing to go must be our incessant desire to be right. The first thing that's got to go is we've got to be willing to set aside, I'm right and you're wrong. The difficulty is we don't like being wrong. We don't like not being right. And so our pride and our arrogance piles up to the point where we're like, no, I've got to be right. I've got to get my point across. Too often we tend to focus on the areas in which we disagree with people, missing the multitude of commonalities that we share that lie just below the surface of our differences. Do you realize that? Most people we have probably far more in common than we do not. But our disagreements become the focal point, the areas where we don't see eye to eye. We lose sight of the fact that I'm not that different than you. Your story is valuable just the same way mine is. In God's desires, we would find opportunities to invest in people regardless of their belief or their upbringing or their race or their status or anything else. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes come, comes in also. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among you, yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That is not who God desired we would be as Christ's followers those who separate people out and say, you go over there, you go over there. We, oh yeah. We have the choice to prioritize relationship over our need to be right. And the richness of a sincere relationship has the ability to overshadow a multitude of differences. Have you ever found that to be true? God brings somebody across your path and you couldn't be more polar opposite in your beliefs. You find this commonplace. I had the privilege of working with a, a, a gentleman uh, I, about a week or two ago, um, working, working some baseball games. We were working down at Lane Community College and then again down at Umpqua Community College. And so we had, a, you know, we, had a, we had a long car ride down to Umpqua. It's a little ways down there in Roseburg. We're driving down and we're talking back and forth. And uh, his, his beliefs and his, his uh, thoughts on the world are a little different than mine, let's just put it that way. Um, we come from, you know, slightly different, different sides of the aisle. So we're talking, we're discussing things, and we're going back and forth, and we were, we were discussing everything from, from life to politics to, you know, plenty of, plenty of contentious stuff. Somewhere in the midst of the conversation, we got around to God and church. And the different aspects and experiences and I was able to share a little bit of my story and what the spirit of god has done in my life and he was able to share a little bit of his story and I was just able to encourage him a little bit and uh I didn't think too much of the interaction but it was we definitely dove into some spiritual stuff and and I was pleasantly surprised at the conversation we were able to have we fought our games and we had a great great time had lunch together and came home and uh, Easter Sunday. I get this text from him about about seven o'clock, seven fifteen in the morning. And he says, Hey. He says, Happy Easter. He has risen. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has. I just didn't think you were gonna say that. And it was one of these interactions where I was like, you know, we got baseball. We both love umpire and baseball. We both have kids. We both and we were able to share some of the, the enjoying, enjoyment of commonalities and, and things and not la- allow our differences and our differing of, of opinions to be the priority. You know, there's a, a great example that we've celebrated over the last year of one of the greatest examples of relationship over rightness. And it's that of Supreme Court Justices Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And if you're familiar with with these two individuals, judicial giants in the United States over the past decades, both serving on the Supreme Court, both now passed. But it's interesting if you do any research about Scalia and Bader Ginsburg and the relationship they had and the close-knit friendship that they shared. They could not have been more polar opposites on the judicial spectrum, and that was clearly evidenced in the determinations they came to in many court cases, the Supreme Court. They disagreed fiercely in their decisions, and yet they had a friendship that was deep and rich. They had tea every week together. It's been written that they spent most of their holidays together with their families. They had a decades-long uh, New Year's uh, vacation that they would take with their families together. If you Google them, you'll even see a, a, another picture of them riding an elephant in Africa, Scalia in front and Bader Ginsburg in the back. Their love and respect for one another grew, even though they disagreed. And they had a rich friendship. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was quoted as saying, It was my great good fortune to have known him as a working colleague and a treasured friend. How many people do you say that about? Do you agree always with your treasured friends or do you find areas that you are at odds? God's greatest desire is that we would have deep relationship even with people with whom we disagree. If Jesus regularly healed, taught, and had lunch with sinners, what excuse do we have to not do the same, to enjoy relationship, to prioritize spending time with people that we don't see eye to eye with? got to come to the place of understanding that God is desiring us to reach out. We have to move to a place of seeing those with whom we disagree as God's chosen children. Do you realize the people that you fiercely disagree with on Facebook, social media, are God's chosen children too? It's hard for us to understand that God could love people who say and do horrible things, but he does. Because we were all there at one point. Canceling an opportunity for relationship only takes away the ability for God to use us to help transform and redeem a life. When we cease to do relationship with people, we relinquish the ability for God to do something great through us. That's his greatest desire. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he desires that we would love God and we would love people. So are we willing to trust God to do the hard work of changing a heart, transforming a life? Because he's only asking us to show the compassion and love that he first showed us. He just wants us to give that back. To give it away. So we have a choice each and every day in each and every interaction to choose to respond, choose to react. To choose to walk a mile in someone else's shoes or to hang over their head their wrongs or their hurt. And to choose the value of relationship over that of being right. I saw a quote the other day that I thought was interesting. It should be a challenge to every one of us. It says, sometimes being understanding is more important than being right. Sometimes we need not a brilliant mind that speaks, but a patient heart that listens. Not keen eyes that always see faults, but open arms that accept. Not a finger that points out mistakes, but gentle hands that lead. Are we willing to return a harsh word with a gentle response? Are we willing to set our pride aside when somebody says something that could be deemed offensive or put us on the defense? Are we willing to allow God to be the judge, the ultimate judge? I know that as we sacrifice that ability, be right, it's going to be hard, but it gets easier. Because we don't prioritize being right over doing life with the people that God is bringing across our path. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that you desired relationship and life with us. And you gave us the ability to move past our sin. You gave us the ability to find life in you. God, I pray that you would help us not to be the kind of people who get wrapped up in rightness or being offended. Father, that you would help us to see relationship. You'd help us to see each and every person with whom we come in contact as your chosen people. And as you called us to follow you, you're calling each and every one who would desire to have relationship with you to that same promise. So God, I pray that you'd help us to, to move past our own insec- insecurities and pride and, and move to a place of compassion. That we would show love freely and without strings. And we know that as we do that, God, that you will do the amazing, incredible work of transforming people, changing. God, we place the job of judging in your hands, and we ask that you would allow us to be people full of compassion, full of empathy, full of understanding. As we walk through this life, you're not asking us to place our faith and truth aside. You're only asking us to listen, to hear the heart of those people who are hurting. God, help us. We need your help. We can't do it in our own strength and in our own power because we're flawed, imperfect beings the only hope that we have is the grace that we found in the shed blood of your Son. So God, give us strength today. Be people of compassion. Be people of love. To model your love to a world that is dying without their knowledge of you. How do we thank you that we don't have to do it alone? We worship you, Father God. This morning, if you're in that place and you're desiring relationship with Jesus, you're desiring to step into new life, we want to partner with you in that decision. We want you to know you're not alone in your need of a Savior. So in a moment, we're going to say a prayer and we'd invite you to say this prayer with us We believe that Scripture tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that Christ died and was raised from the dead, we will be saved. We will spend an eternity with him. So if you're in that place today and you say, yes, I want to step out of disagreement, I want to step out of canceling people out, I want to step into love and compassion, and not only feeling that and understanding it, but giving it away. We're going to say this prayer together, and the church will will, will say this together. We don't want to single anybody out or embarrass you. As we say this together, would you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth your need of Jesus? Would you say, Father God, Please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for saying that prayer today. It's the greatest decision that you can make in life. If you have made that decision for the first time, we want to hear from you. Fill out a connection card that says, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Or if you would reach out to us by email if you're tuning in online to info at Just let us know that you've made that decision. We want to partner with you. We want to get you a Bible. We have Bibles out in the lobby. These are the greatest steps you can take. And as it pertains to what God is calling us to, as Christ followers, living a life of compassion is not optional. Not something we can wake up and say, "Well, today I feel like doing it; and tomorrow I don't." It's the whole point that Jesus came. It's the whole reason. And this week we can choose to agree to disagree, and we can see the people that God is putting in our path. The God, the people that God is putting on your heart to extend the hand of relationship. So as we say each and every week. Church, as we go out of this place, as we go to our workplaces, to our homes, to our friends, to our family, we have the opportunity to show the compassion and the love of Jesus. And as we do, let's remember the call that we call out to every week, and that's to go out and to be the neighborhood. Have a blessed week. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.